I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Your rights when you are with a covert narcissist are the same as the Miranda rights that are read when someone is arrested. Here's how these words go. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand the rights I have just read to you? With these rights in mind, do you wish to speak to me? I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. Thank you for joining us today, and we are going to dig into these rights when you are with a covert narcissist. Before we get started, I want to remind you that I am offering a special for the entire month of June. This is to honor World Narcissistic Abuse Awareness Day, which was on June 1st. For the month of June, one-on-one -on -one sessions with me are only $99. These are life coaching sessions for victims of covert narcissistic abuse. I have built a curriculum that I work through with victims, the very steps that I took myself to recover from the damage that was done and to thrive in who I am today. To take advantage of this deal, visit my life coaching page at cnglifecoaching.com. That's CNG as in covert narcissism group, cnglifecoaching.com. You can also email me at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, -E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Now on to the Miranda rights. I'm going to read them again. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Let's just stop right there for a minute. You have the right to remain silent. How many times was it so clear to me that he simply wanted me to shut up. I had the right to remain silent. He might as well have just said those words to me. You know, there was one day that I had been out with the boys. It was a summer day and, and he was at work and the boys were out of school. So I had been out with, with his boys, our children, and had spent the day together with the kids. And when he got home from work, I was eager to share, you know, the experiences that we had had for that day to share them with him. He had fussed at me in the past about, well, you never tell me anything. And so I thought, well, today I was actually excited about something that had happened. And, and so I went into where he was sitting, you know, on the couch after he'd gotten home from work and he was already playing games on his phone. And I just started telling him, Hey, you know, here's what happened at, at the, at, you know, the lunch, the restaurant today that we were at. And I start telling him the story and I'm not even two minutes in without even looking up from his phone. He aggressively said, okay, already. In other words, you have the right to remain silent. Okay, already? I mean, that just shut me up right then and there. Who wants to talk to that? So I walked away. He never said another word. No acknowledgement that he's hurt my feelings. No care that he's hurt my feelings. And no interest in how the day went. But yet, give it another week or two, and absolutely, he was going to be fussing at me for not sharing with him the activities that I do with his boys. 
I'll give you another example. I'm a pianist, you know, in my background, I, I cut a CD with a good friend of mine. We, we built a CD or created a CD and it was me on the piano, her on the cello. And I, I just, I loved it. It was a project that I did with her and, and we had so much fun doing it. And he complained to me after we had made the CD that I had not even let him listen to it. Let him? I had asked him a few times if he wanted to hear it, but he always blew me off. So I quit asking. I'd let it go. Like, you know, if he's going to keep blowing me off or not taking any interest in what I was doing, I sure wasn't going to keep pursuing that. But he, again, there he is complaining that, you know, you haven't even let me listen to it. So I asked him, okay, how about now? We were at home in the evening. He was off of work. There was nothing going on. How about now then? He said, okay. So I got my computer, got out the CD and I turned it on. Well, two minutes in, he asked, how long is this anyways? I said, well, it's about 50 minutes. The whole CD is about 50 minutes long. Well, he sharply replied to me, I don't have that kind of time. And he walked away. Again, you have the right to remain silent or to be silenced. Okay. Again and again, he shut me off, shut me down and made me silent. And what did he walk off to do? Of course, he walked off to game. How about in the circular conversations that we have with them? You know, in the midst of them, he held these long periods of silence. I don't know about you guys, but this is where it went with me. Long moments of, of intense silence. But if I spoke up during that time, he snapped at me. Don't interrupt me. Or he'd say, you always interrupt me. And he'd get all mad and frustrated. Don't interrupt you. You're not even talking. You know, this is that moment of silence. But again, that shuts me down. You have the right to, the right to remain silent. The next line of that is anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, in the narcissist court of law. You will be found guilty on everything. You know, we were in, we did marriage counseling and, and we were in the, the office of the counselor and we're trying to reconcile our differences. You know, we're trying to save our marriage. And one of the things he says to me, he goes, well, you always say yes and do no. And I had no clue what he was talking about. And I said, okay, help me understand, you know, what do you mean by that? What times do I say yes? And then I don't, clearly I don't follow through with it or whatever. And, and I'm willing to, to address this. And his answer to me was, well, you never finished fixing the windows in the house. You said you'd get all the windows replaced and you never finished replacing the windows in the house. We had not talked about those windows in over a year. And I didn't realize it was my job entirely to get these windows replaced. Like I, I thought that was just a project we were working on together, but apparently I had said, well, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can make time to set this up and get it done or whatever. Nothing gets said for a whole year. And now all of a sudden in the marriage counselor's office, trying to save our marriage, this is his example of how I always say yes and do no. Anything you say can and will get used against you. I'll give you another example. Our youngest son had been asking for a few months if he could have margarita that had a little bit of alcohol in it. Now, of course, he was underage, um, just a, a young teenager. And we had given him one back at New Year's, but it really did not have like any alcohol in it at all. But he wanted to try one that actually had a little bit in it. And we had done this with our older son. You know, he also, while he was underage, we'd given him a little bit so that he could, 
you know, I didn't want it to be taboo. I wanted it to be like, okay. And not that big of a deal. And, um, but our youngest son, I had been telling him no. And, but that maybe he could do it over the summer or something. And so we're watching this late night hockey game and, and with my husband and, and my, our two boys, and we had made nachos and our youngest son, you know, was asking for the margaritas. So I made him one and I measured out less than half of the alcohol that it calls for. And, um, you know, I don't know a lot about alcohol. I didn't know how much was in a shot glass. And when our son asked how much I had put in, I made the horrible mistake of saying, oh, about a shot glass, maybe. I didn't know. I didn't know how much was in a shot glass. I measured it in a little measuring cup. I didn't think anything else of it. And I just enjoyed the hockey game. Well, later that night, after our son had gone upstairs, my husband started objecting. He said, I can't believe you gave him a shot glass of alcohol. And I said, I don't know how much is actually in a shot glass. I said, the mix called for one and a half ounces. And I put less than half of that in there. Well, so now he tells me that one and a half ounces is a shot glass. So I said, okay, well, I didn't know that. I didn't put in a shot glass then. I put in about two thirds of an ounce. So less than half of that. But his words to me were, well, you said it was a shot glass. So was it a shot glass or not a shot? I said, it was not a shot glass. And this went on and on. And he became this pin prickly, passive aggressive. Well, you said it was a shot glass and would not let that go. And I finally asked him, so what are you objecting to? And he said, well, why even give alcohol to a 15 year old? And I said, you know, he's been asking for a couple of months and we want to squelch that curiosity. We had done that with our older son too. So I didn't think that it was a problem. I don't want to raise him thinking that alcohol is this big deal. And then he can't wait till he turns 21 and makes bad decisions. He said, well, I agree with that, but yet he continued to object. But I don't agree with giving him a shot glass of, of tequila. And I, then he sits in this quiet, pensive, clearly upset way that he had, that he just functioned in the house. And that was one of these, again, you can't interrupt that silence. And you certainly can't leave because then he'd be all offended that you walked away on him. And it's this deranged form of silent treatment and incredibly painful to endure. And again, he brought it up a shot glass of alcohol. And I objected again and said, why do you keep bringing it up? I said I was wrong in what I called it. I corrected my mistake. It's like I'm never allowed to make a mistake in the conversation. Well, his answer to this now. So now, you know, he, he finds another, they always find another angle, another way to continue making it a problem. And so he says, well, you also said that our son had asked for this a couple months ago, and, and now later you're saying it was a few months. And so you keep changing your story. Is it a few months or was it a couple months? I was like, good night. This is the round and around. Everything you say, you can't say anything because it's going to get turned against you. It just, it, you know, I told him, I said, I didn't mark it on the calendar. I haven't counted the months. I don't know how long it's been and I really don't care. But they find every little tiny sentence or word or whatever phrase that comes out of your mouth and they will use it against you. Another example is he would say that, that we used to go out to eat without him, that the boys and I would go out to eat. Like after Taekwondo, we're, we trained in Taekwondo a lot. And he said, well, you guys go out after Taekwondo and you go out to eat, you know, without me. And I said, what are you talking about? No, we don't. I'm so conscientious to make sure I come home after Taekwondo because I know he's going to get mad if we don't. So I, I just, I don't do that. We come home. 
And so I said, what are you talking about? I said, sometimes I drop in the grocery store really quick, but I said, is that what you mean? No, I don't mean the grocery store. I mean, you go out to eat. I said to him, no, we, no, we don't. We come home and we eat at home. And so his answer to me was, will you go to that Chinese place next door? Okay. Let me tell you about the Chinese place next door. Yes, we pick up food there sometimes and we bring it home and we call him and ask if he wants any too. That becomes our dinner for the night. We even order it before class so that we don't have to wait on the food. And while two of us are cleaning the school, the other one picks up the food so that we can hurry home. All of this to keep my husband happy. And so I said, you know, we bring it home to you. Are you telling me that that's not okay? But again, he spends it. But you told me you don't go out after Taekwondo and now you're telling me that you do. I, I just, you can't win with this. Everything you say can and will be used against you. And when I even made the comment of, you know, we always call you and ask you if you want something. He goes, oh, no, you don't. You say you always call me, but that one time you didn't. And I'm sure that one time was, you know, he had a meeting after work or something that created that situation. But again, anything you say can and will get used against you. The next part of the Miranda rights is you have the right to an attorney. And if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Well, guess who that attorney will be? Your narcissistic partner. They will tell you what you think, what you did, what you should have done, what you say, what you don't say, what you should say, what you should not say everything. This becomes their teachable moment. Have you ever had a teachable moment with a covert narcissist? They love teachable moments. These are times where they can show off their great knowledge and ability and help the less informed, which is you or anyone else that they can trap in this. I'll give you one example of that teachable moment. My, my dad likes to play bridge. And he plays bridge a lot in his older days, you know, his, his retired life. And we are a card playing family. There's no doubt about that. And my boys were like, I want to say they were maybe 12 and 14 when this story happened. And, and my dad was, was setting up a bridge hand on the table. He was just kind of practicing by kind of off by himself. And the boys took interest in what he was doing. They'd come over and say, Hey, Papa, what, you know, what are you doing? So he starts explaining to them how to play bridge, like just the basics. They were young uh, you know, for that kind of a game. It's a very complicated game. Well, my husband heard this going on. Oh, this is a teachable moment. He jumped in on this and he wanted to come. And so he ends up now taking over the conversation and explaining all the different dynamics of bridge and, and all the complexities and all of this. And everything he was saying was going completely over the boys' heads. In fact, my dad, who had been playing bridge for quite a few years, far more years than my husband had been playing, was even saying to me later, he goes, I couldn't even follow what he was saying. And this went on and on. And if my kids had walked away, they would have, you know, he would have been greatly offended. Well, don't leave. I'm trying to teach you the game. You're the one that asked, you know, how to play. So let me teach you. And this was that teachable moment, but it's a trapped teachable moment. It's they, they take small, simple questions and it becomes this long drawn out lecture full of examples and illustrations and showing off their great, again, showing off their great knowledge. There was one time I had asked him about the garage door. It was making a strange noise and I didn't know what it was or what to do about it. And, but yet when I asked him about it, he went on for hours teaching me how the door worked, like for two hours 
what the different parts were and what sound they made and whether he actually knew anything about what he was talking about or not, that really did not matter at all. I mean, he did know a lot of stuff. There's no doubt about that. Most of his knowledge was about stuff and he knew kind of a lot about how things worked. But if it was a teachable moment, it didn't matter whether he really knew what he was talking about or not. He knew enough to, to make it kind of make sense and kind of, you know, and especially to then show me uh, how much I did not know. And no doubt somewhere in any of these teachable moments, he always found a way to blame something on me or to find a way that I was inferior. It wasn't a conversation. You don't have conversations with them. This could have been a conversation about the garage door, but instead it was a lecture. And it often ended with, you know, him saying, well, I'm just trying to make sure you understand. Like if I ever told him, Hey, you know, that's more information than I need. It's okay. Well, I'm just trying to make sure you understand, you know, you don't have to get all offended by it. That was what he would say to me. I'm just trying to help. It didn't matter that this was now, you know, two hours of my life consumed by a conversation about garage doors. It, it had long since bored me and had gone way past what I was asking. And if I walked away, you know, he'd be horribly offended. You aren't even going to listen to my answer. You know, I'm just trying to answer your question. You're the one that asked it. And on and on he would go. This is how it is living with a covert narcissist. Anything you say can and will be used against you. You will be tried in their court of law. And the last two lines of it is, do you understand the rights I have just read to you? With these rights in mind, do you wish to speak to me? Almost like it's a dare. And that's how it is with a covert narcissist. Can you manage to comprehend what I'm saying? Are you capable of figuring it out? And if not, I'll keep explaining it to you so that you can get a better understanding of, you know, what you did wrong. And do you still dare to speak with me? And this is a marriage I'm talking about or a relationship, a family relationship. So condescending, so hurtful. It's like they say, now that I've shown you how I will treat every word that comes out of your mouth, you better just shut up. I'm better at you than manipul at manipulating things, turning things against you, controlling you. This is my territory. Well, it's no wonder that we quit talking to them. So many victims shut down. We go gray rock and we don't even know what that's called. Like I was doing gray rock before I even had ever heard the phrase. I didn't understand why. I just knew that was the best way to handle it. And I just shut down. It was a survival skill. I, you know, just a, a need to be able to exist in the same room with them. So what should these rights be? What do they look like in a healthy relationship? In the next few episodes, you know, here soon in my podcast, we're going to take a shift and start working towards how do we create healthy relationships? How do we start correcting some of this inside of, of our, own, um, our own self and inside of the people around us and, and start to build that trust again? So what should these rights be? I rewrote them in a way that I think better matches healthy relationships. You have the right to be you. Anything you say can and will be heard and valued. You have the right to speak your mind. If you do not know how to speak your mind, I will wait patiently and eagerly to hear your thoughts. Do you understand the rights 
I have just read to you? And with these rights in mind, are you open to speaking with me? I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.